The time is now. Volume 5, Episode 94, This is Employment Law Now. I am Mike Schmidt, your host, as always, and the Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. Well, got a bit of a hodgepodge of employment law developments, in particular, four significant developments that I wanted to mention to you since we last spoke. The first one has to do with developments at OSHA, you know, the federal agency that has been, for the most part, quiet throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Right after the January 2021 inauguration, President Biden signed an executive order directing OSHA to determine if the COVID-19 specific emergency standard would be necessary. And if so, directed OSHA to issue one by March 15th, 2021, even though the former Secretary of Labor, Eugene Scalia, did not believe that a temporary emergency standard uh, for COVID-19 was necessary. Well, uh, an emergency standard has not been issued yet. It is past March 15th, and I do emphasize the word yet. However, that does not mean OSHA has not been busy because uh, just last week on March 12th, 2021, OSHA did release a National Emphasis Program, an NEP, that addressed certain industries where workers are at a higher risk of contracting COVID-19 and also made clear that workers could not be retaliated against if they complained about unsafe or unhealthy conditions. Now, the National Emphasis Program addresses certain higher-risk industries, for example, the healthcare industries, animal processing plants, grocers, restaurants, assisted living facilities. There are several high-risk industries that are specifically referred to uh, on a Exhibit A or Schedule A to the NEP. And with regard to those higher-risk industries, OSHA has set forth specific policies and procedures for companies in those industries to use to identify and then either reduce or ideally eliminate exposure to COVID-19, such as going through certain types of inspections at a fairly regular interval. Uh, Those inspections will be done not just by the companies themselves, but also this NEP sets out how OSHA is going to go through inspections uh, of certain companies in those industries as well. The NEP also contains provisions dealing with outreach that will be performed in the coming weeks and months by OSHA's various area officers and provides better coordination between and among OSHA's various offices. This NEP is effective for one year through March 2022, unless it gets further extended. 
Now, again, as I said, while there has not been an emergency temporary standard issued just yet specific to COVID-19, the odds are that we will hear further from OSHA soon, even though we are past the March 15th date. Our OSHA team here at Cozen O'Connor certainly will be expected to be speaking more to all of you in more detail about how your organizations might look to act in accordance with this recent directive by OSHA. Number two of my four significant developments worth mentioning, we shift to a different agency, the United States Department of Labor. If you think it's frustrating for me to spend podcast episode after podcast episode talking about rules and regulations from the Department of Labor that then subsequently get withdrawn and have no impact, well, you can imagine how companies and workers themselves feel when they're trying to conform behavior based on regulation. Well, the New administration came in Washington, D.C., and that's exactly what has happened here, as two Department of Labor regulations issued under former President Trump have been rolled back and rolled back significantly. First, you will remember that the Department of Labor issued a final rule not long ago, just this past January 2021, though it was prior to Inauguration Day, providing independent contractor standards. That new standard codified a more pro-contractor classification, codified an economic reality test, and really attempted to simplify the core factors to be considered when determining whether a worker uh, is properly classified as an independent uh, contractor. While the rule has not yet been rescinded completely, the Department of Labor has pushed the effective date of it back from March 8th, 2021, now to May 7th, 2021, to give the department time to determine whether to actually rescind the rule in its entirety so that a later rule could perhaps replace it, one that would be issued under the new Biden Department of Labor Administration. So that's the uh, independent contractor rule. Similarly, one year ago, The Trump Department of Labor issued a final rule back in January 2020 to provide a standard for joint employer status. You remember we've spoken about that on this very podcast. And you'll remember that that rule gave us a four-factor balancing test to determine if two entities can be liable for wage and hour issues as joint employers. Well, President Biden's Department of Labor has also proposed rescission of that joint employer rule subject to public comments on that proposed rescission to be provided by April 12th. The bad news, depending on which side you're on, the new rule that will eventually come out once this is rescinded, and I believe it will be, uh, will likely address and uh, issue more of a pro-employee, pro-joint employer kind of standard under the new rule likely to be issued by a Biden Department of Labor. The bad news also for both sides is that, again, it continues to make it more difficult to know how we should be acting, whether as the employer or whether as the employee, when the rules shift depending on the political winds. But I guess it can't all be bad news 
the seesaw reality of agency action in Washington, D.C. does sort of incentivize you to have to keep listening to me on this podcast. So I guess that is a good thing. We will on this podcast continue to keep you apprised as to what goes on with the independent contractor and the joint employer rules from the Department of Labor because they are now so much in flux. Issue number three, and we head back to COVID-19 specific activity. The FFCRA, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, Let's revisit a little bit of history here. You can all sing along with me because you know this history by now if you've been listening to the podcast. Back on April 1st, 2020, the FFCRA became effective, essentially creating two components of paid leave, a paid sick leave component and an emergency FMLA component. And wow, we spent so many episodes in 2020 talking about the FFCRA, its implementing regulations and the rights and obligations of both employers and employees under the FFCRA. Well, December 31st, 2020 came and the FFCRA expired by its terms. It was only enacted in early 2020 to exist until the end of 2020, but Congress gave a little bit back, albeit on a voluntary nature. So in the December 2020 stimulus package, Congress made it so that employers could voluntarily provide FFCRA leave, and if they did, they could still take dollar-for-dollar tax credits to be reimbursed for paid FFCRA leave, but they were able to do it only through March 31st, 2021. Again, the mandate part of FFCRA ended December 31st, 2020, so it was no longer required. But if employers wanted to continue to provide FFCRA leave, either as paid sick leave or the emergency FMLA leave, they could do so voluntarily through March 31st, 2021 and still get the tax credits for doing so. Well, As the March 31st expiration date has been quickly approaching, Congress, as you likely know, passed a significant $2 trillion American Rescue Act of 2021. Much of what is in that substantial American Rescue Act of 2021 is beyond the scope of this particular podcast or even today's episode, but there are a couple of things definitely worth mentioning particularly as the American Rescue Act of 2021 created some significant FFCRA changes. First, what is the same? What still exists? Well, the FFCRA is still voluntary. Employers are not required to provide FFCRA leave. It's still voluntary. However, the new um, the new uh, act the American Rescue Act of 2021 extended the ability of employers to voluntarily provide FFCRA leave from March 31st, 2021, now through September 30th, 2021, so that they could still get tax credits dollar for dollar for paid leave provided through September 30, 2021. What's still the same? Well, it still only applies to employers with fewer than 500 employees. No change there either. So what does that mean? That means certainly all employers of any size can provide the FFCRA leave, 
but only employers who voluntarily do so if they have fewer than 500 employees are entitled to the tax credits that come with this uh, American Rescue Act. So no change there. Also no change when it comes to the eligibility for certain employees to be covered by either the paid sick leave or the emergency FMLA components. No change. Also no change, although it's not entirely clear and we're expecting some guidance uh, in this area, you probably still cannot add the emergency FMLA beyond the 12 FMLA weeks that you're generally entitled to if the employee already exhausted his or her 12 weeks of FMLA leave in the prior year, whether it's the calendar year or a rolling year, however the employer designates the FMLA year, nothing has changed there either. If the employee has exhausted his or her 12 weeks in that defined year, nothing in the new American Rescue Act entitles the employee to additional emergency FMLA leave under the FFCRA. So that's all the same. Nothing's changed. But so what's new in this new legislation? Well, there are about six new things, and let me summarize them quickly for you. First, it does give eligible employees a brand new 10 days of paid sick leave for FFCRA purposes during the period from April 1st, 2021 through September 30, 2012. Previously, if the employee had used up all of his or her paid sick leave for FFCRA purposes prior to December 31st, they were out of luck and employers couldn't get more tax credits and couldn't give more leave during that period. Now it appears that you can. If you have exhausted all of your paid sick leave for purposes of the FFCRA as an employee, you now get a reset, a new 10 days to be used during the period of April 1st, 2021 through September 30th, 2021, I'm sorry. Uh, And employers can take the dollar for dollar tax credit for those additional PSL days. Number two, there are additional reasons that an employee can be eligible for paid leave under the paid sick leave component. You will remember that there were six reasons, six triggering events, under the FFCRA in its initial form. Now there are three additional reasons for giving paid sick leave. Additional reason number one, if the employee is obtaining COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine. So that again, if he or she cannot work either at the office or telework, The time needed to obtain a COVID-19 vaccine is a triggering event for paid leave under FFCRA now. Second additional reason, if the employee is recovering from a condition related to getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Additional reason number three, if the employee is seeking or waiting the results of a COVID-19 test or a COVID-19 diagnosis because either the employee was exposed and had to get tested or diagnosed, or because the employer requested. And remember, that's sort of been an open issue uh, and a debated issue back in 2020. It's funny, I say back in 2020 like it was 10 years ago. But sort of an open debated question is, well, what if you did not have a particular condition? What if you were not subject to a quarantine order, but for whatever reason, your employer 
requested or required that you go get tested. Well, now that is specifically an enumerated reason why the paid sick leave component of the FFCRA would provide paid leave now. If the employee cannot work or telework because he or she needs time to seek or wait for the results of a COVID-19 test or COVID-19 diagnosis because either the employee was exposed or because the employer requested such a test or diagnosis. Number three of what's new. Well, the FMLA, the emergency FMLA component is no longer limited to that one paid sick leave reason involving the unavailability of school or childcare. Now, the American Rescue Act has said that the EFMLA component of the FFCRA can be used for all of the six plus the three additional triggering events that exist under the paid sick leave component. So basically now they both completely mirror each other. The paid sick leave and the emergency FMLA component can be used for all nine triggering events. Really the difference to some extent is when you're getting paid and that the emergency FMLA component provides for longer leave than the uh, 10 days of the paid sick leave. Again though, Let's continue to keep in mind as we talk about this, this is still voluntary. Employers do not have to provide FFCRA leave. Though they can if they want to, and they're entitled to do so and get the tax credits through September 30th, 2021, unless it is extended again. What else is new? Well, the tax credit or the maximum available leave payout for emergency FMLA has been increased from a maximum of $10,000 to a maximum of $12,000. What else is new? If the employer wants the tax credits, there is now an express provision prohibiting the employer from discriminating or providing different levels of this albeit voluntary leave benefit in favor of highly compensated employees, in favor of full-time employees, or otherwise in favor, of one, in favor of one employee over the other because of an employee's tenure with the company. There's an express provision that says you can't do that if you want to get these tax credits. And lastly, there is also a provision which says that if you want the tax credits as an employer, you must comply with the FFCRA requirements. Again, there was an open, somewhat debated issue over the past few months debating whether, well, because the FFCRA was now voluntary, can the employer pick and choose which parts of the FFCRA it can and would provide to an eligible employee while still getting the full dollar-for-dollar tax credits. Now the new provision says that if you want the tax credits, you have to comply with the either the paid sick leave, or the EFMLA components in their entirety. It's still voluntary, but whichever you do provide on a voluntary basis, you must follow all of those requirements in the FFCRA in order to be entitled to the tax credits. So to level set and really understand what we're doing here, let's look at the purpose. Clearly, Congress does not, again yet, want to make this a mandate like it was in 2020. But they want to incentivize employers to want to give, on a voluntary basis, FFCRA paid leave. 
So the purpose of this new and extended law is to expand the reasons that would allow employers to get tax credits, which then promotes employers to voluntarily provide paid leave under the FFCRA. So all of these changes make sense if you keep that purpose in mind. We expect to hear further from both the Department of Labor as well as the IRS, perhaps in the coming days and weeks, to give us some more guidance on uh, these new rules and provisions. It's also worth noting that there were some material changes also made in the American Rescue uh, Act that impact employee benefits and benefit plans. For example, individuals who are eligible for COBRA and who timely elect COBRA can now receive COBRA continuation um, funded by the federal government without any cost to the individual from April 1st, 2021 until September 30th, 2021. Also, there are extensions of the deadlines to elect COBRA, as well as new notice forms that have to be provided to eligible employees. The Department of Labor will be issuing as they are required by Congress to do, and hopefully those new forms will come out as well in the coming days and weeks. We'll let you know uh, when they do. Other benefit-related changes, including an increase in the maximum contributions for dependent care, flexible spending accounts, as well as changes to both single-employer and multi-employer pension plans. Without getting too much in the weeds, I just wanted to flag for you that there are significant benefit and benefit plan-related changes that came as well from the American uh, Rescue Plan Act here. Our benefits and executive compensation team at Cozen will be providing a deeper analysis on those changes. Feel free to reach out to us as well. Finally, uh, number four of the four significant developments that I wanted to talk to you about, the continuing effort to expand paid leave, not from a federal standpoint, but on the state level around the country, particularly as it relates to COVID-19, and even more particular than that, to COVID-19 vaccinations. New York just became the very first state in the country to provide paid leave specifically for employees to get vaccinated. It is effective immediately, and it runs through December 31st, 2022. It is important, obviously, to understand this new specific paid leave law if you have operations or employees in New York. But even if you don't, it's important to understand this, as I like to talk about on this podcast, because it is signaling a likely trend around the country. New York may be the first to issue this or enact this. It will undoubtedly not be the only one. So what is the New York paid leave for vaccine law um, done? It provides employees up to four hours for each dose. So presumably, if you are taking one of the vaccines that require two doses, it would be up to four hours of paid leave for each one of those doses. And because the legislation goes through December 31st, 2022, it would likely also provide up to four hours for any booster shots that may be required next year. This new New York law also specifically states that employers cannot charge that paid leave entitlement 
against any other PTO or leave banks that may otherwise be provided by the employer to its workforce. But there are a couple of open questions here. Documentation. The law does not specifically speak to what proof employers can ask for. Presumably, I would say that, at least, you know, to be conservative, employers are going to be entitled to ask to see the vaccination card, the vaccination record showing that the employee was in fact vaccinated during the time he or she is claiming the need for paid leave for that time. What about accommodations? Scheduling, as we all know, while presumably getting easier as vaccine supply gets better, scheduling is still an issue. People have not had the luxury of necessarily scheduling their first shots whenever it suits them. But what is the balance that the law is going to allow for between employers who have a business reason to not have employees leave on a certain day or a certain part of the day with employees who want to or need to get vaccinated? The law doesn't speak to that. I would suggest that unless the company has a real substantial reason that it can articulate why it absolutely needs the employee for that particular day, for that particular shift, I would, in this period of time, err on the side of accommodating the employee and not questioning the need to take the leave to get vaccinated. Well, that is all the time that I have. Isn't that really enough, though? Uh, Hopefully, these four significant developments are now on your radar. Uh, Continue to watch, continue to listen, because there will be more on these developments as well as certainly others coming down the pike. As I like to say, in the coming days, the coming weeks, and the coming months, we are just about finished with the first quarter of 2021. Hard to believe. Uh, But I suspect 2021 will continue to be very significant, both on the COVID-19 front as well as generally with employment law and particularly in Washington, D.C., as we see the impact of a new administration in the White House and what that impact has on various federal agency initiatives and priorities. I can't thank you enough for listening to this podcast and continuing to send in your comments. Please continue to do so. Until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.